Uh, we've been doing a series on Nehemiah, and we are now in our third part of that. And the theme of Nehemiah, the theme of the whole book, is Nehemiah's leadership through depending on God. So Nehemiah's leadership through depending on God. He's a, Nehemiah is a gifted leader. He's, a, he's been gifted just kind of naturally by God as a leader. He has a prominent position in the Persian Empire. He's the cupbearer of the king, and that doesn't just mean that he serves wine. That's all he does. It means that he's very trusted. For a king to say, hey, you're going to take care of my wine, you're going to take care of my food, it means the king really trusts this guy. He knows that, you know, because people are always trying to assassinate the king. And especially in the Persian Empire, that was pretty common. And so for a king to make you a cupbearer, he trusts you. And so really, I think a modern term for what Nehemiah was would be like a special counsel. He's special counsel to the king. The king trusts him intimately. He has a lot of responsibility. And so here's Nehemiah. He's got these leadership gifts. He's special counsel to the king. And he uses these, this, these gifts and these, this prominence in the empire. To, he uses that to be able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's a fun story. I, 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 don't, I hope that you guys are reading along with us because Nehemiah, just reading it is so fun. It's so easy to read. Uh, if you read some of the other prophets like Ezekiel and you read in the New Testament, you read Romans and, and good stuff, but it's deep, it's heavy, it's abstract, it's very theological. And then you get into Nehemiah and it's just easy reading, just fun reading. Nehemiah is a concrete thinker, all right? I mean, that's not to say he's dumb. He just, he's not thinking abstractly. He's not, he's not thinking theologically in the big, you know, kind of these big terms. He's not using terms like sanctification and things like that. He's just saying, it's basically his diary. And he's saying, hey, I went to, the, to Jerusalem. I saw there's a problem. I, I did this and this and this. It's just very easy re- reading, very fun reading. But here's the thing. What is the application for us in Nehemiah? Because it's fun to read. It's a great, great story. But is there an application to us? I think most of us would say, I'm not gifted. I'm not a great leader like Nehemiah. I don't have a position of power and influence like Nehemiah. So how would this apply to me? In the New Testament, in, the, in their letters, Paul and Peter repeatedly say that every Christian has been given at least one gift from God for serving the church, for building up the church, for blessing people, for glorifying God. Every Christian has been given at least one gift. Nehemiah's gift is clearly leadership. He didn't, I'm sure he studied and grew in that, but clearly this is just a natural gift that he had. And he has access to some great resources. But every Christian, every believer, has some abilities that you are born with, just natural innate abilities that you have to cultivate, but they're just there already. And you have resources. No matter how poor you are, you have some resources that have been given to you by God to build up his kingdom to bless people. Everyone has these. And you can, you're, we're called to serve these in a certain way that God calls each of us to do that. At the top of your worship folder, I put a verse there where Paul says that God has planned good works in advance for us to do. Good works. Think about that. God knew that you would exist. He knew when you would exist, where you would exist. He knew that you would come to faith in Christ. And he planned things for you to do in advance. Good works for you to do. Nehemiah's good works included building the wall of Jerusalem. But there are some good works that God has for you to do. Not building a wall, but something else. And so the question then is, okay, well how 
do we know what those good works are? How do we know what God is calling us to do? It sounds great to talk about God has a wonderful plan for your life, but what is the plan, right? What are the things that I'm supposed to be doing? I just talked to a guy this week at Nova, and he just stopped by the church, and um, we're talking, and he was saying, hey, yeah, there's so many things to do at Nova right now. He said, yeah, feeding the hungry, laundry love. We got the house build coming up. We had Kalina Del Luz just a, a month ago. We have numerous, you know, different short-term mission opportunities. We got a, uh, projects for, for, you know, the building campaign. We're going to be renovating out there in the prayer garden. We need people to, to help us with that. And there's so many things going on. And his thing was, I want to do all of these. I care, about, I care about the church, I want to be involved, I want to do all of these things, and yet I can't. i got a full-time job, I'm busy, i got a home, I get home in the evening, my wife has a honey-do list, i got kids, I mean, there's just a lot going on in my life, I don't have time to do every single thing here, so what should I do? How do I prioritize? How do I know what God wants me to do here at Nova and even outside of Nova? There's other opportunities in the community. I said, wow, that's a great question. Come back on Sunday and maybe I'll have an answer. Uh, I said, well, we talked a little bit, but I did say, hey, the sermon this week actually really dovetails with that perfectly. Uh, Because as we read the story of Nehemiah, we see, I think we see seven steps that helped Nehemiah to know what God was leading him to do. And I think these can help us too. I'm not saying these are seven simple steps that will transform your life or any, if I thought that I'd write a book probably make some money, but I do think that these are seven steps that will help you to discern how God is leading. So jump in with me, Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to review a little bit from where Dean's already been, uh, but before we, we, we read, we dive into that, let me just say one more thing. The Bible makes it clear uh, that the ways God is calling each of us to serve are different. And so you, the way you serve is going to be different from the way I'm called to serve. And it's going to be unique depending on your gifting. So my gifting, I think, is teaching and public speaking. Um, one of my areas where I'm not very gifted is, is working with my hands using like hand tools. You can ask Norm. When we went to, uh, down to Cabo, I get so angry at the tools. and They don't work quite right and I just I get fed up with them. And uh, it's not my gift. I'm not going to be serving. I I will help out here and there, but it's not my long-term call to serve in that way. But, so so the way that we're called to serve is different, but the character God calls us to have is the same for everyone. We are each given different gifts of the Spirit, but we are all called to have the same fruits of the Spirit. This is really important. Okay, God doesn't call some of us to be generous, and some of us to be patient, and some of us to be kind, and some of us not to gossip, and some of us to you know, be faithful to our spouse. God calls all of us to have all the gifts of the Spirit. And I think sometimes we get that, we mix that up. We're like, oh, I, yeah, I just don't have the gift of patience. Well, you better work on it, because God will give you the grace. He will, if you're willing to work. All Christians are commanded to do all of those things, all of those fruits of the Spirit. You don't need a special leading from God. Because I, I hear some people say, well, I'm not sure if I'm called to, you know, to give generously. I, maybe God hasn't led me. I'm like, God's told you in his word. You don't need a special leading to do that. A, a couple of years ago, I was listening to a sports radio talk show host. I, I like to listen to sports radio. And this guy, uh, he was a caller called in and, and had a comment on some sports issue. And the caller was a pastor. And he said, I'm a pastor. 
And the, the sports uh, talk host guy said, oh, you're a pastor. And he said, yeah. The sports talk guy says, I'm, I'm a Christian too, uh, but I'm not called to, called to that whole chastity thing. <laughs> and I know this guy a little bit. I know he's not married. I know he's a, he has a reputation as a womanizer. And so I, I knew what he meant there. He's not called to abstinence outside of marriage is what he was saying. And I wanted to say, all Christians are called to that. It's not optional. It's part of making Jesus your Lord. He gets to tell you how to live. And one of the things he says is that sex is only for marriage, right? It's just part of following Christ. So I just want to clarify as we get into discerning God's call for how he's leading us to to serve and live, that his call uh, for all Christians is to live a godly lifestyle. Okay, so the godly lifestyle thing is for everyone. I'm going to talk today about discerning how God's leading you to serve others, because that will look different for each of us. So the first step, I think, is to have a burden, a burden. We'll read the first four verses here of chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven." A burden is the first thing to to begin to discern. Is this something that God is calling me to do? Do you have a burden? Do you have this desire to do something? You you see this need and you you sense this, this, this burning desire inside of you. I need to do something. Somebody needs to do something about this. Uh, When I went to Africa a number of years ago, uh, I was a young guy and I wanted to see what what is the key to being a successful long-term missionary. And so I looked at some of the missionaries there, and, and some were, were long-term. They had been there for years and years and years. And others were short-term like me, and, and many of those didn't last. They, they went home. They, said, they saw it and said, I can't do this. And so I was wondering, what is the key? Is it a certain kind of personality that is able to serve long-term in a very difficult uh, environment? Uh, is it gender? Are women more prone to it than men? You know, what is it? And what I found was the only thing that is correlated with longevity and hard work is a burden. Missionaries who stayed on the field and who were successful would just say, I feel called to this. I am, I, and it wasn't always easy for them, and at times they, they, they expressed discontent with things, but they said, I feel this call, this burden to be here and to be serving God here. And so my takeaway was, if you don't have a burden, don't go to the mission field. And and I'm cautious with that because God wants us to go to the mission field. But I see so many people, and I have seen so many people who go to the mission field, and they're like, I need to do this, or I should do this, but they don't have a real burden for it, and they don't last. Only a burden, only a call from God will enable you to fight through the, the intense discouragement and culture shock and all the other stuff that comes with missions. And so my question to you today would be, what has God put on your heart already? Don't do things out of guilt. Don't do things to impress people or out of legalism to impress God as if you could somehow impress God with your good works. You, you will burn out. The question is, what do you want to do? What has God put on your heart? 
And you say, this is something that I, I, I see the need and I, I want to do it. I feel called to do it. Um, and again, it's not just seeing a need because I, I see needs all around me that I don't feel burdened for. And that doesn't, I don't think that makes me a bad Christian. I hope not. Uh, I see needs in Syria, in the Middle East. There's a tremendous uh, immigrant crisis. All these displaced people in the Middle East. And I see that and I say, that is terrible. And there's a need there and people need to go and reach it. But personally, I don't have that burden right now to go and do something about it. I can give to it and we have missionaries that we support. But I don't personally feel that burden, such a strong burden that I need to go over there and do something. But I do have a burden to serve here. I do have a burden to do some other things that I'm doing. So what is a burden that God has put on your heart? Second then, the second key or second step is to pray about it and see if that burden grows. So you have a burden which then grows as you pray. Prayer is the means of testing the burden. Read with me again chapter or verse 4. Nehemiah says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And later, we find by correlating the months that he did this for about four months. So Nehemiah doesn't rush into things. He certainly has a burden. He has prominence. He has resources. But he says, I I just prayed for four months. Four months long. He's just praying and fasting and saying, God, somebody's got to do something about this problem. And instead of going away, the, the burden in him just increases and grows. Many people fail on this point, on number two. Some people want to just jump in right away. And they overcommit themselves right away only to find that their burden was just kind of an emotional moment that passes. And now they're overcommitted and they no longer have a desire to serve long term in this way. It wasn't a real calling from God. It was just an emotional experience, a high. Other people, maybe they have a burden, but they get distracted, right? They go back to work and they start doing these other things and they forget and they don't pray about it. They don't see God about it. They don't fast about it. And so maybe the burden was real, but you can get distracted from a real burden and they they lose it and they forget it. And so spending, you have the burden, but the key then is to remember to now seek God about it. Pray about it. Be patient, but be persistent. Be patient, but don't forget then to actually pray. And I think a lot of us, will, I, I do this all the time. Maybe I'm the only one, probably not though, where I'll say, oh yeah, I'm going to pray. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for that. And then I forget. And I'm sorry for some of you. I've done that. I, not, I admit, I forget. Don't forget when God puts a burden on your heart. Say, I'm going to pray about it, and then actually pray about it. Fast about it. See God. Third step in this process. Then seize opportunities while depending on God. Seize opportunities while depending on God. Take a look with me now. Chapter 1, verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Who's this man? He says, I was the cupbearer to the king. So he's talking about the king. And he keeps going. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins 
and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will will your journey take? And when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I think one time, one thing that we miss sometimes in reading this is that Nehemiah planned, he planned to ask the king. Sometimes we read this and we're like, oh, it just kind of came up somehow. But it didn't actually just come up. We see at the end of Nehemiah's prayer that he's been praying about this for four months and the burden has been growing and now he's like, I need to do something. I need to actually bring this up with the king. But he's afraid. Jerusalem has been a rebellious city. It rebelled against Babylon multiple times until it was destroyed. And so asking to rebuild a city, to rebuild walls, that could be a, a way, a sly way of trying to, trying to rebel against the king. It sounds weird to us in our modern, but that's actually a, an issue. Once a city had walls, then it had the potential to, to uh, rebel. And so he's nervous about this, to ask the king. Plus, you, you can't show up in front of the king with a sad face. Uh, that's not appropriate. You're supposed to, you know, everybody makes the king feel happy. That's what you're supposed to do. But he decides, you know what, I'm going to go to him and I'm going to look serious because I, I am serious. And I'm going to bring up this request. And he's afraid, he's scared, but he's praying about it. And so when the opportunity came, he seized his chance. He seized his opportunity. I could imagine it would have been very easy for him to, to get up to the moment and then to back down and say, oh, I, I just... You know, King, I ate something funky last night, got a little indigestion, I'm sorry, Uh, I'm okay, you know. It would have been easy for him to back up at the very end, because he said, I'm scared, I was scared, I was afraid, but he is able to press through that, to step up, to step into his opportunity, and to seize it. Pray, depend on God, and then move forward. If you don't, you will always be waiting to be used by God. Always. I'm not saying you have to be um, impetuous or whatever, but you've been praying, you've been seeking God, now you see an opportunity to move forward. Otherwise, you'll just always be waiting. And unfortunately, I know quite a number of Christians like this. They, they have a real burden from God, and they'll tell you about it, and they'll say, I've been praying about it, and the burden is there, but they don't understand why God hasn't used them in that area of where they have a burden. And so when we talk, though, it becomes clear that they never had the courage to seize their opportunities. They just kind of expected God to drop an opportunity right in their lap, rather than trusting him to help them step out in faith and seize their opportunities. Fourth step, expect resistance. Expect resistance. Chapter 2, let's jump ahead to verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard about this, heard about that that, uh, Nehemiah is going to rebuild the wall, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And then jump down to verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? 
I answered them by saying the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants and we'll start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Expect resistance. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes we just think that when God puts a burden on our heart and we, we, see, we step forward to seize an opportunity, that it should just be, all the doors should just be wide open. It should be smooth sailing. It should be really, really easy. And I don't see that pattern for anybody in Scripture. I don't see any character in Scripture who served God, who had a mission from God, a calling from God, and who it was just really easy for them. They're like, man, no problems at all. Everybody had problems. Everybody faced, faced resistance. That's just how it is. You're going to face resistance. And Paul says, look, we don't, we're not just fighting against flesh and blood. He said there's a demonic realm out there. And that demonic realm, when it sees somebody step up and say, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to make a difference for the kingdom of God, I'm going to expand the kingdom of God and, and take it into places of darkness, that demonic realm doesn't just say, oh, darn it, man, I wish that person wasn't so excited about serving God. And that, that demonic realm will actually resist and fight back. Jesus says, if you want to you raid the strong man, you want to take stuff from the demonic realm, you're going to have to bind the strong man. You're going to have to fight. There's going to be a struggle there. So expect resistance as a Christian. Fifth step. Evaluate, think practically, and make plans. Evaluate, think practically, make van- plans. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days... I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls around Jerusalem. I don't know why, by the way, anyone would name their gate the dung gate, but nevertheless, uh, I haven't studied that, so I don't know why that is. Uh, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which have been broken down, and its gates, which have been destroyed by fire. And then he, he says, I, I moved on, and I, I basically did this huge, kind of nightly, quiet examination of the walls. Uh, don't, how do I say it? I'll say it a different way. When God calls you to do something, and he's put the burden on your heart, and you've, you've stepped forward, and you've taken an opportunity, and now you've got to move forward, you're actually going to have to think and make plans, and evaluate the opportunities and the obstacles ahead. And again, I I think so many Christians make the mistake of just thinking that God will magically do everything for them. If they're called to this, God will just magically make everything work out. He's going to drop all these opportunities in their lap, and it's going to be easy, and they won't have to think or plan or make any sacrifices. And I think that kind of thinking is just an excuse for laziness. God is inviting you to co-work with him. He's not inviting you to just kind of hang out while he does everything. He's inviting you to be a co-worker with him. All effective ministry is a combination of the natural and the supernatural. The natural and the supernatural. If it's a calling from God, and I believe this, if it's a real calling from God, there will be some obstacles that will require supernatural aid, supernatural intervention. God will make sure that he gets the glory for this. And therefore, some of these are going to require supernatural intervention. You're just going to have to pray. And you're going to say, look, there's no way I can plan. To f- I can figure this out. I can overcome this through planning. God, you're going to have to do something, and God does. But there will be plenty of things that will require human planning. God gave you a brain. It's a gift of God. And he gave you muscles. 
and he expects you to use them. It's part of serving with God, of being a co-worker with God. Sixth step, share your vision and recruit like-minded people. Share your vision and recruit like-minded people. Going back to Nehemiah chapter 2, now we're going to jump into verse 16. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So we began this good work. Share your vision. You're going to need help. If it is a big calling, you're going to need help. You're going to want people to work with you. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. And I think that's instructive. It's important that we, we naturally benefit from having human beings share a vision and work together with us. But the key is don't guilt people. Invite them. Don't guilt people. Invite them. Guilt, I said it at the beginning of the message, guilt is not sustainable. You cannot sustain service that is motivated by guilt. You will burn out. And it will ruin relationships. If you guilt people into doing something that you have a vision for, eventually it will lead them to resent you. It is not sustainable. You want people, think about it, if you, if you have a burden, if you have a vision, you want people who share your vision, who share your burden, who are internally motivated, not externally motivated by guilt. You want people who have that same passion in them. And so as you share and you, you tell people about, about what's on your heart, you're going to find like-minded people, people who, who they're going to begin to pray about this. They're going to they're begin to have a burden. They're going to pray, and God is going to say, yes, this is from me. And so now you're going to have partners in ministry, not, not employees in ministry, not people that you got the guilt to do things. You're going to have people who say, man, you know, let's link arms. Let's do this together. It's going to be a David and Jonathan kind of you know, relationship. You want people like that. So share your vision. Make it as compelling as possible, but don't guilt people and don't resent people if they don't feel the same burden. I don't feel, I don't have the same burden that many of you have for other kinds of things because we're called to serve in different ways, but some of us are called to serve in the same way. So find those people. Share your burden, your vision, be confident, and when you find people who share it, work together. Work together. Finally, the seventh step. When you've done all these other things, now put the plan into action. Pull the trigger. This is where some, some people do get hung up at this final point. You, it's crazy, right? You get everything lined up. But some people, it's like, man, to actually pull the trigger, the trigger to move forward, to march forward can be hard. But now it's time to do it. Because I think, I think if you follow these steps, and I want to be careful. Again, I'm not, I'm not one of those self-help gurus who's like, these seven steps will change your life. But... I do think if you follow these seven steps from Nehemiah, I think you will often have reasonable clarity and reasonable confidence in what God is leading to you to do. Now, you may have some awesome, like, literal vision like Paul, and then you'll know for sure, but most of us, well, the most we can expect is reasonable clarity, reasonable uh, confidence in what God is leading us to do. And I think you can have that when you follow these steps. Let's pray.